Support for this podcast is provided by Paradox, the conversational AI company helping global talent acquisition teams at Unilever, McDonald's and CVS Health get recruiting work done faster. Let's face it, talent acquisition is full of boring administrative tasks that drag the hiring process down and create frustrating experiences for everyone. Paradox's AI assistant, Olivia, is shaking up that paradigm, automating things like applicant screening, interview scheduling, and candidate Q&A, so recruiters can spend more time with people, not software. Curious how Olivia can work for your team? Then visit paradox.ai to learn more. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 306 of the Recruiting Future podcast. As we move towards 2021, it's increasingly clear that a paradigm shift is taking place in talent acquisition. Forced remote hiring has added rocket fuel to technology adoption, and the deep recession is driving new strategic thinking around purpose, people and process. So what does world-class talent acquisition now look like? And what kind of competitive advantages does it bring? My guest this week is Harry Osley, Principal and CHRO at the Hackett Group. The Hackett Group is a strategic consultancy which benchmarks best practice within enterprises. And Harry has some unique research-driven insights to share on talent acquisition and the future of work. Hi, Harry, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me on the show. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Thank you, Matt. Uh, I'm Harry Osley. I'm with the Hacker Group. I've been in human resources. Basically, uh, all my life came out of uh, college and actually learned the craft for a number of years. And then um, as we started uh, the Hacker Group, um, I was one of the first uh, few employees at the uh, help start the company, and um, and then we've grown here tremendously. I'm I'm the CHRO of the company as well as I lead the global uh, HR and payroll advisory programs. Now, there, there may be some people listening who've not come across the work of the Hackett Group before. Could you tell us a little bit about what the company does? Matt, we're a, what we call a, an intellectually property-centric organization that helps companies uh, drive continuous improvement. Uh, by that, we're a management consulting firm. Uh, we uh, we focus on helping companies drive um, improvement across all the enterprise functions, whether that's HR, payroll, IT, uh, finance, uh, GBS. And we do so uh, through our intellectual property and our tremendous global talent and people that we have. Uh, the intellectual property comes from uh, our abilities to do continuous benchmarking and performance studies with companies. We analyze companies very, very well when we do these studies. And um, uh, we get to lift the covers off of these companies and, and know what they do well and what they don't do so well. And those things that they do very well, we see it, see it kind of performed across other organizations. We capture that information uh, through best practices, through metrics, through 
uh, processes uh, down to a level three process design. And we utilize that information to not only uh, you know, drive more research, uh, but also utilize that research and that, uh, those, uh, that understanding and that intelligence to help companies get better, right? Every organization knows that there's always something that they need to be working on. Um, I always like to say that uh, my elevator speech is uh, we're, we're fitness coaches for, for companies. We help companies understand what their objectives are and get them and, and help them get better at those objectives. It's fair to say that 2020 hasn't turned out the way that anyone expected. How have the events that have gone on, the, the pandemic, how have they changed the focus of the work that you're doing? That's a, that's a great question, but I don't think, I, I think uh, uh, not to, not to, to uh, use any levity here, but I don't think there's anybody who came up with a, a, a you know, projection that 2020 was going to be the way it's, it, it's turned out to be. It's obviously been a, a, a year of, uh, of uh, incredible upheaval for in individuals, for people across the world. And then obviously, in, as you impact those people across the world, obviously uh, it impacts businesses. Um, you know, I, I've seen um, a tremendous amount of, of change. And, and as I reflect upon that change and as it, as it, as it impacts people, it impacts talent, it impacts businesses, HR is at the forefront and actually at the middle of this equation. So when you we speak about the changes that have occurred and whether or not companies have to go virtual, to what degree they have to go virtual, safety precautions, what supplies, masks, uh, um, equipment that you have to provide, HR is at the center of all of these kind of uh, uh, concerns and issues. So COVID and 2020 have really impacted, obviously negative, in a negative way, the, uh, the business environment. Uh, but it's put HR kind of at the center of the discussion. And for those organizations where HR has been a reliable business partner, a, a, an organization who has data and information at its, at its fingertips and can turn that data into critical thinking and decision-making for the businesses, those are the organizations and HR functions that are really, really going to strive and survive. Um, when you look at the amount of, of change in the workplace, I think the so the concept of work has has it still remains the same, right? The concept of of workload coming in and and uh, going through a process and then uh, that, that having an impact on productivity. The components of work are the same. So if you look at where you do work, workplace, how you know the the space that you have within the work kind of workspace, workmates, work type, work tools work goals, all of those concepts, when you look at work, uh, continue to be the same, but they've obviously have been impacted by COVID and in specifically in 2020. I suppose to pick up on, on one of those to start off with, the, the idea of workplace, we've seen many, many companies, knowledge workers in particular, having to work from home 
during the pandemic. Obviously, that's still very much ongoing, but but we are reaching a point fairly soon in the future where companies will need to decide what their strategy is moving forward in terms of people coming back to the office or people continuing to work remotely. What's what's your view on that? What do you think the long-term implications are and the future looks like in terms of workplaces, offices, and remote work? Well, there's two... There's two um uh, answers that I have for you there. One, first of all, I do think that uh, um, there's an obvious impact on the workplace. Uh, when you look at the the my my personal projection, and when you look at some of the thought leadership around workplace, I, I think you're going to have a third of those knowledge workers working remotely. You know, they they do it today. There's no real need for them to change. Uh, there's no real need for to have a place for them to come into work. So I think there's going to be a third of those uh, individuals that are going to stay remote. You're going to have a third, Matt, that's going to be um, kind of a hybrid, right? They're going to have two days on, three days in, into the office, and then a couple of days where they work remotely. And um, and and the organization is going to be okay with that. They're going to they're going to retrofit kind of the size of their office space or what have you to make sure that they can. Um, be uh, accommodating for these kind of what I'll call hotelers coming in and out. And then a third are going to be coming in to work as they did, you know, pre uh, 2020. Uh, they're going to be coming into work. They're going to be, they need that interaction. They need to, uh, some face to face time, or they need, quite frankly, they just don't have the workspace at home to be able to do that. Some, some of these decisions are, are going to be personal. They, they prefer to come in, in into the office. So you're going to have a third, a third, and a third as it pertains to the workplace. I do believe that uh, you have to look at the rest of the model when when you when you make that decision. It's just not a you know a, a, a single threaded decision. Does the does the employee have the right workspace at home? Uh, if they come into the office, can you provide the right workspace? And then the workmates discussion is around how do they interact. Uh, so if you look at if if that third of that, you know, the knowledge workers are staying home. How are they interacting with, with their colleagues? How are they interacting with their clients? How are they interacting uh, with when, when, you know, when there's time and, and need uh, to gather information? So a lot of the implications around workplace, workspace, and workmates, uh, as well as type or type or tools and goals, has to do with kind of the digital aspect and the investment companies need to make to make sure that those knowledge workers, whether they're staying at home, whether they're hybrid and they're coming in and out of the office or whether or not they're coming into the office, how do you create a better work model? Because at the end of the day, the workload will continue, hopefully, for a lot of organizations uh, in, those, in that knowledge uh, worker space. That productivity, that workload continues to come in and actually increases so we can get people more people back to work. As that happens, that work new work model, the the uh, six W's as I call them, will have a tremendous impact on productivity, and that's the key. Most CEOs, Matt, are looking at are my is my talent, uh, are my people being as productive as they can be. So as these things change, as these components of the work model change. The emphasis on productivity does not. 
we still want to be as productive as possible. You still want to be able to get services, products out the door uh, in a very high quality fashion uh, quickly. So if these components are changing, then the common thread has to be how much of this can you digitize to be able to drive more efficiency and more effectiveness out of these components. What do you think the implications are for talent acquisition and recruiting? Well, that's a that's a, a phenomenal question because as as I as I alluded to earlier, HR is at the forefront, really at, at the center of the of the equation, right? Because as companies needed to furlough and exit um, uh, talent and people uh, as the downturn happened. Of course, we were in the center of that discussion. Uh, as we kind of normalized, uh, uh, HR continued to be at the, at the, at the center of that, of that equation by saying, okay, what, it, what are the things that we need to do? How do we get our people? How do we open offices back up? How do we get our people situated? How do we get? How do we make sure that our talent and our people are safe and the well-being of our people is first and foremost? So again, at the center of the equation. And as companies start to re you know, open up, as companies start to re-energize, as companies start to hire again, again, HR is going to be at the center of that of that discussion. I think it has a tremendous implication on 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 HR. Uh, and specifically for those companies, if you're in the world-class status, and those are the companies that we believe are in the top 25 percentile in both efficiency and effectiveness, or the peer group, which is the medium of the rest of the, of the database, so the, the middle of the, of the 75 percent of the companies are not world-class. If you're in that peer group, you're going to struggle a little bit because we don't believe you have the right digital platforms and um, and automation to get people number one identified number two interviewed number three selected in a, an efficient way and in a smart way efficiency is one thing smart is uh, is another so world-class companies we believe are efficient and smart in being able to get that right talent in so what will happen matt you're going to have the peer group companies driving recruiting and staffing you're going to do they're going to do so at a at a at a slower clip and they're going to do so at a less efficient rate so i don't believe i i believe that in the space of recruiting and, and, and staffing world-class companies are going to get even smarter and even better because they have the the uh, platform to do so and i do believe that the peer groups are going to get costlier they're going to be slower and costlier, and they're not going to make necessarily the right hiring decisions. They're going to hire, I believe, um, I think world-class companies are going to hire in a more prescriptive way. They're going to get the best of the best, and they're going to be able to identify, interview, and select those people uh, much more efficiently, whereas the peer companies will not. So over time, 2020 is a baseline, but over time, I think the gap only widens when it comes to recruiting and staffing. We have the numbers to prove it today. Tell us more about the numbers that, that you've got and what you're, what you're seeing. Sure. So when you look at, at the, at the uh, world-class uh, companies, they tend to spend less on a, on a per-hire basis. The importance of that, Matt, is the fact that they just don't spend less. 
is that they're spend smarter. So when you look at their applicant tracking systems, uh, their way to identify candidates early, uh, they have more automation, more digitization in that area. So they spend about $1,300 on average in on a cost per hire basis for recruiting and staffing, where in the overall peer group spend about $1,900 for that same process. There's a big difference in cost. But if you look at value, the types of placements that they have, world-class companies keep these hires longer than the peer group. So that's where I go back to, I truly believe there's going to be a, a big, you know, or an increase in the gap in the upcoming years because the world-class companies are just better prepared today. They're also smarter in the way they fill. So they're faster to filling um, both professional and manager jobs, but about the same when it comes to clerical. But when it comes to professional uh, level jobs and managers, or, or managers being those uh, uh, those people who, who uh, actually manage more than one individual, they tend these world class companies tend to fill those jobs faster. Why is that? Well, they understand the talent that they have within the organization, so they also do a better job of of filling within the company as opposed to going always outside. They go outside for skill sets and competencies that they haven't naturally nurtured uh, in the organization yet, or they're opening up new new actual new roles. So that that's a little bit of a difference. But when it comes to filling jobs, they're a lot smarter. And also when you look at total hires and placement per a recruiting and staffing person or FTE within the company, uh, the world-class companies place about 130 uh, of those individuals on an annual basis, where the peer group uh, is around 80, 85 uh, on the peer group. So you can see that not only is the process cost lower, but they're also, also being much more productive because they have they, there's, there's a big disparity as, as it pertains to hires or placements per uh, recruiting and staffing FTE. As a final question, you you mentioned that you see this gap getting bigger and bigger as we as we move forward. What would your advice be to HR directors, heads of talent acquisition who aren't in that sort of world class group in terms of what they can do right now? You know, coming out of twenty 2020 twenty into twenty twenty one to to really sort of propel themselves forward. I think that's a. Uh, another great question, Matt. I, I really do. If I was to boil it down, I, I'd really look at, at the technology investment, but not just spend money for, for money's sake. So I would think you, you, you would need to go to a, a thought process around a digital transformation. You can see, you can do digital transformation by process here. So this would be smart for a head of talent to look at. Uh, it would be smart for any kind of recruiters to take a look at, but it'd also be smart for the uh, HR function to take a look at as a whole. And I would say that because recruiting and staffing is, is really the front end of, of, the, of the HR um, uh, lifeline uh, and, and employee lifecycle events, you could carve it out. But if you look at it holistically, you have to look at Am I spending my technology costs as efficiently as possible? 
And most organizations that, as I look at that disparity between peer and world-class in, in the upcoming years, need to say, I need a digital transformation blueprint to be able to say, where are my gaps? Kind of a heat map around, if I have all these processes, what have I, and across my activities in, in recruiting and staffing, what have I automated and what have I, have I not? And where can I get better? I think that that first question is very key. You have to look at yourself in the mirror. I've always said you can only get better once you understand that there's an issue or a problem. That's the first thing you need to do is understand where where are all my activities around recruiting and staffing? How do I identify candidates? How do I interview candidates? How do I select candidates? Uh, how do I onboard candidates? Look at those four buckets. Look at the activities under those four buckets and say, what have I automated and what have I haven't? If there's a lot of disparity in that automation process, then you have a big opportunity to probably spend uh, wiser to gain more efficiencies in the in the future. It, it, this is not about necessarily spending more. It's about spending correctly and spending wisely. And I don't believe organizations take the time uh, to really understand this. It's almost, I go back to my fitness center analogy. It's almost like some organizations run into the gym or run into the fitness center, they do a little workout there and they walk out. Uh, a lot of the smart organizations understand what is it that I want to work on? Let me go into the, into the fitness center, let me work on that. And then let me work on my second, third and fourth issues as, as I go forward. And I think that's really what it's about. It's really understanding where do I need help from a technology perspective. I, I do believe that the digital aspect of these uh, world-class companies is driving a fundamental difference. So if you look at it from that lens and look at your activities, understand where there is opportunity, then you come up with, hey, I have an issue. I need a roadmap. How do I get to that roadmap? What, what's the best fit? How do I get there over time? Harry, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate the invitation. My thanks to Harry Osley. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow us on Instagram. You can find the show by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search through all the past episodes at www.recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.